Welcome. It's great to be here again this Sunday, and uh, it's great to know that I've finished my first series, which was on the Kingdom of God, and you've invited me back again. So uh, I haven't been kicked out, so that's a good thing. No, it's an absolute pleasure and honour for me to be able to uh, just bring some words every every month or so, and so I hope that they're a blessing to you. And I pray that today, as we go through and start the new series on Romans, uh, that they will be a blessing to you also. So before we start, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your son, your precious son, to be our redeemer. And we are here this morning to praise him and worship him. We are here this morning because he laid down his life. He gave it up for us that we may have life and life to the fullest. Father, the words that are shared this morning, may they be rich words of blessing to each person. May they be words that come from you and your heart to the benefit of all here. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I hinted at, we're going to go through, start a new series, or I am, uh, working through the book of Romans. Now Romans is a, a long book, there's about 15 chapters. And so what I'm going to endeavour to do is work through about a chapter each time I get up and speak. So about a chapter a month. Uh, it will take some time to go through. We might be able to speed it up at some point. Uh, but this morning, uh, God willing, we'll get through Romans 1, which is a fantastic chapter uh, in the Bible and, and amazing truths in there. So hopefully we'll be able to pull some of that out. But with, before we get in, let's try and reflect and understand the purpose of, of what, why Paul wrote Romans. Now, Paul uh, was a missionary. He went around presenting the gospel to a lot of places. And Paul wanted to go to Rome to set it up as a base to extend his missionary services further west. Paul was hoping to be able to, or wrote this letter, to present to the church in Rome the gospel as he understood it, the gospel that he had, uh, to bless them, but also to lay a foundation for the trip for when he went there, that he would have their support uh, to be able to present it further afield and to use Rome as a bit of a base to continue to spread the gospel. And so that's the purpose. That's why he wrote it. And so in a snapshot, there's a bit more depth to it, but just in a snapshot. So without further ado, what I thought I would do is we'll just read through chapter 1 uh, and I'll be stopping at certain points in time so you can follow along with your Bible uh, and I'll be making some points along the way and hopefully points that will help bring this letter to life. Um, we may not get too far before we stop. So let's start. Romans 1, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. And that's where I want to pause for a minute. As I said, we didn't get too far into the chapter, did we? So verse 1. A couple of points I want to point out because here Paul is really setting the example, setting the scene of what's going on. He's used three words, or more than that, four words, but three concepts here. Bondservant. Apostle and separated to. And even as I say that, it's five words, but never mind. Maths was never a good point of mine. Bond servant here uh, in English, actually in Greek is the word doulos. And you've probably heard the word doulos. And the concept of what he's saying here is doulos is about someone who devotes themselves to another, disregarding their own interests, binding themselves to another. And so Paul is saying, this is who I am. I am by, I've bound myself to Jesus Christ. So as I introduce myself, this is who I am. I am one who disregards my own interests for the sake of Jesus Christ, for the sake of um, our Messiah. I will bind myself to him. 
And then he goes on and says, I'm an apostle. An apostle is an ambassador to Christ, one who was sent. So Paul's saying, I've bound myself to Jesus Christ and he has sent me. And then he uses the words and he says, separated to the gospel of God. Note here, he says, not, he doesn't say I'm separated from. He says I'm separated to. If we go back to Ezra chapter 9, and very quickly, um, the nation of Israel, they've just come out of captivity. And they've gone back into the land and they've been tasked with the job of rebuilding the temple. And it says here, when these things were done, the leaders came to me saying, to Ezra, saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands. And when they went back out of captivity, they went back to their land and they started to take husbands and wives from the surrounding lands. But they were called to be a priestly nation, to separate themselves out of that, to be able to point towards Yahweh, the Father. But here Paul says, I'm separated to the gospel. He doesn't say I'm separated from. He's saying I'm standing on this side. I'm standing on the gospel. I've been separated unto it. That is my position and that is where I'm about. I'm not going to talk about that which I am separated from, but I'm going to be presenting to you that which I'm separated to, that which I am for, which is really, really important. I can remember a conversation when I was a minister in in Victoria with other ministers and we're sitting around having a conversation and I said, oh, tell me about your church. And rather than telling me about what they were for, they told me everything that they weren't for. They didn't believe in Calvinism. They didn't believe this. They were against that. And after this long diatribe of what they were opposed to, what they were weren't for, I walked away feeling really depressed because I don't think that they actually knew what they were for. And I think Christians themselves sometimes are so opposed to things that they forget what they've actually been separated to and what they're actually for. What are we for? We're for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I've bound myself to Jesus. He has sent me and I have been separated for him and I am to him and I will be on about him and that is my position. And I think as Christians, as churches, that should be our position too. We should be separated to him. And that will naturally mean we're not for stuff. But our position should be, this is where we stand. We are for this. We're going to take the affirmative action and speak about what we are for, not constantly in a position of talking about what we are against. Let's pick up the Bible again. Verse 2. So I'm a bondservant. I've bound myself to Jesus Christ. He has sent me and I am for the gospel of God, my paraphrase, to which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with, the, with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Wow, what a mouthful there. Here, Paul has laid out the gospel in a very short snapshot. He has said what he's going to unravel for the next 15 chapters. But note also what's happened here. He has laid out here things that the rest of time people have argued about in regards to Jesus Christ, which he promised. So separated to the gospel of God, which he promised through the prophets in his holy scriptures. How many people have said Jesus Christ is not the Messiah? 
You know, he's saying the scriptures, all of the Old Testament point to this person. All the prophecies, all the foretellings have pointed to this person as the Messiah. And yet people throughout the ages have said, no, 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 he wasn't the one. We've still got a nation, the priestly nation, still can't come to grips with the fact that their Messiah has already come. And uh, which he promised before the scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. How many people have said, yes, Jesus came, walked as man, he was a good man, but he wasn't the son of God. People reacted violently, vehemently against him, not because of his good works, not because of the miracles, but the Jewish leaders rose up against him when he said, I am the son of God. And it was at that point that they came rushing towards him, at that point that they wanted to put him to death. It was because of that they denied it so vehemently. And yet Paul in that day, he says, yes, he is the son of God concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. Have you heard the argument, Jesus wasn't a real man? Jesus didn't come. Fictitious imagination wasn't a historical character, despite the fact that there's actually more um, historical evidence for his being alive and living than there is of even Shakespeare, but no one denies that Shakespeare ever lived despite the fact that there's more historical evidence of him having walked the earth than any other historical figure, and yet people still say he wasn't true, he wasn't alive. Paul says here, he says, he was born of the seed of David. He has a genealogy. He has people from whom he came. He is linked all the way back to Adam through King David. This is a man who came. And as People were building up to this. He has a genealogy. He walked in flesh. It says, according to flesh, and declared to be the Son of God. As I said, people would deny that he was the Son of God. He was a good man, yes, uh, with power. Declared to be the Son of God with power. How many people say he didn't really perform miracles? Good man, yes. Walked the earth, yes. But he didn't perform those miracles. He didn't do that. Paul, a man who was in those days, says he was... Son of God declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. And that there is the last argument, is it not? Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead. It's the last argument that people have. Yep, Jesus might have come. He might have walked the earth. Yes, Jesus was put on the cross. But we're still looking for the grave in which his body is buried. We're still looking because he didn't rise from the dead. Or the other side is, yes, he went to the cross, but they pulled him down and he wasn't really dead and his disciples and his friends restored him back to life and he went off and lived a happy, merrily, happy ever after life and had these children and all of that. We've heard both arguments, haven't we? But Paul says he was resurrected by power from the dead and that declared his sonship. And so right there, Paul hits off at the arguments that have raged ever since Jesus went to the cross and died. He hits off at the arguments that we still continue to hear today and he lays it out as truth. And he says, this is the case. Verse 5, through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to faith among all nations for his name. Through him we have received grace. Jesus Christ came and brought grace. John 1, 
verse 17 says, For the law given through Moses, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. There are people in the church today who say, yes, we're saved by Jesus, but now we have to go back to the law. We have to go and fulfill the law. We have to live by the law. John 1.17 says, The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Note which side truth is on. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The greatest message will always be given by the person with the most authority or the person with the highest standing. Moses was a servant, a great servant, a good servant, but a servant. And he gave the law. The Son of God came with grace and truth. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, is the embodiment of grace, is the embodiment of truth. Jesus Christ is grace himself. And so if we say we're saved by Jesus, but now we have to go away and fulfill the law, we're actually falling from grace. And Paul talks about that later on. We actually fall from grace. And people think that when you fall from grace, you're actually falling into sin. That is not what the Bible paints a picture of. The Bible paints a picture of when you are in grace, when you're in Jesus Christ, you fall from grace by going back and relying on your own self-effort, going back and relying on your own righteousness, going back to the law, which is defined in Romans as works. I've probably skipped ahead of myself a lot there because we'll go into that in chapters 4 onwards in Romans. But just to lay out, grace came. Through him we received grace. Through him we received unmerited, undeserved favour. For he is the very embodiment of grace. Verse 6, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. And so we too have been called. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This here is just the introduction. He's packed so much and we we have only just touched the introduction. Note that it was written to all who are in Rome, beloved of God. I want to just say, if this letter was written to Esperance, it would not be written to Esperance Church of Christ. It would not be written to the Baptist Church of Esperance. It would not be written to the AOG Church in Esperance. It would not be written to the Anglican Church in Esperance. It would not be written to any of those flavours, to coin a phrase, use a coin of phrase. It would actually be written to the people in Esperance, beloved of God as it is here. Because we are united. We have more in common with one another than we do differences. And the thing we have in common is we are beloved of God and we are all called to be saints. And this letter, if it was sent to us in Esperance, we would read it here amongst us and then we would pass it on to the other flavours so that they could be encouraged, so that they could be blessed because we are one body. God sees location as one body and so we are united with the other churches in Esperance by Jesus Christ because we are all beloved. And we are all called. And we have far more in common than we do differences. Grace and peace to you from the Lord God, uh, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As I said, this is just an introduction. But grace and peace, I give upon, I pour upon you and pray upon you 
unmerited, undeserved favor, that you will grow in the knowledge of blessing of Jesus Christ that you do not deserve. I pray that you, and, and I proclaim a blessing upon you, that you'll walk in peace, having no more condemnation, but walk in the complete presence of God. You see the blessing that he's speaking over the people in Rome. I have a friend here who uh, grew up in the Anglican church and, he, and he, his words, I, I wouldn't use this, but he says, I'm a non-practicing Anglican. And every time I see him, he walks up and he greets me and he says, peace unto you. I don't think he realizes the powerful words that he's just spoken to me, but I will receive it. My response is that which the Anglican church would use and also unto you because I want to bless him back. I want to make sure that he receives the blessing that is his in Jesus Christ. And I want to speak those words because there is power in the words. And scripture talks about the power of words and I want to make sure that I respond. I'll accept his blessing. I don't even think he knows that it's a blessing. I think he's saying more out of fun. But I will receive that blessing and embrace that and I will give another blessing back to him. And it makes me ask the question, how do we as Christians greet one another? Do we greet one another with blessings? Or do we waste our words? Hopefully we don't greet one another with curses. But... Why wouldn't we greet one another with a blessing? Grace and peace unto you. Peace be upon you, whatever it is. You know, just something that is a blessing. Chapter 8, verse 8, sorry, not chapter 8. We haven't skipped that quickly. Verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. That your faith is spoken about throughout the whole world. This links back to what Paul said, separated two. The people in Rome were known, the believers in Rome were known for their faith. What are we known for? What is the church in Australia known for? What is the church in Esperance known for? Before I came to Esperance, and I told people I was coming to Esperance, within the Christian community in which I was, do you know what they said? Oh, that church is a divided church. There's issues down there. We're not known here in Esperance for our faith. We're not known in Australia for our faith. And I don't say that to condemn anyone. I, I just say that's what was spoken to me. But what are we known in Australia? for? The, what's the church known for? It's often about what we are opposed to. We're not for homosexuals. We're not for prostitutes. We're not for sinners. We're not for this. What was the church in Rome known for? Their faith in Jesus Christ and the life that they lived and the peace that they lived and the way that they responded. A people who walk and live according to his ways, filled with peace, love, a people of faith. How do we want to be known? Do we want to be known as people who are opposed to or do we want to be known as people of faith? Walking in peace, walking in love. I think it's the latter. I think we want to be known as people of faith. And I would love to see the reputation of Esperance churches turn around so when someone in Perth in the future says, I'm going to Esperance, they'll say, oh, that's great. The churches down there, they are people of faith. They walk in faith. They are doing amazing. God is doing amazing things through them. 
That's what we want to be known for. And if people outside of Esperance know us for that, then the people here in Esperance will be blessed because of us. Because of us and our faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 9, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. So he's saying, I'm praying for you always. I want to come. I want to visit you. I've got some, a message here to bless you with, but I know in my coming I too will be blessed. I want to come to you. I've been wanting to come for a while. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among other Gentiles. I am a debtor to both Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. If you got a letter starting like that, would you not want to accept this man? In that passage there, he says, I've been praying for you. I've got a message for you. I want to bless you. I want to come. I know you're going to be encouraging me because you're a people of faith. This is a man, when you receive a letter, you go, I want to keep reading. This is someone who is encouraging us, who wants to bless us. And I think the same is true for us as we read this passage of Scripture or these verses. We know as we continue on, we are going to be blessed because of the writing of Paul and because of what's been said here. And you know what? We're not going to have to wait too much longer for that blessing because then he goes into verse 16. This is an amazing verse, 16 and 17. We're going to spend some time on this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Let's pull this apart a bit. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of God. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Do you know what? I used to read that and I go, yeah, I'm not ashamed of it. But what Paul is actually saying isn't, I'm not ashamed of it. If you read it, he's actually saying, in context of everything else, I am fundamentally on fire because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? You see, Jesus came to earth as a man. Jesus lowered himself from being in the very presence, from being God and became a man. And he walked the earth and he came and he stood in front of his father and he said, Father, I want to cut a new covenant on behalf of men. I have come because they could not fulfill the last covenant. And I have done everything in the law. I've fulfilled it all. And I am a man. And so on behalf of all mankind, I want to cut a covenant with you that relies nothing upon them because they are frail, because they will not fulfill it. But I will never fail you. And Father, you will never break it. And I want to cut a covenant between, with them. And I know when I cut a covenant, when a covenant is cut, blood must be shed. Accept my blood. And I will become a curse. I will hang on a cross and become a curse that they may be blessed. 
and I will allow my blood to be poured out that they may be forgiven. And I will have my body beaten beyond human likeness that they may walk in wholeness and have healing. And I will have, allow my hands to be pierced that they will have holy hands. And I will allow my feet to be pierced that they may be able to walk in your very presence. And I will have my heart pierced that they will have a new heart a heart of love and I will allow a crown of thorns on my head that they may have a renewed mind I will become a curse that they may be blessed I am not ashamed of that gospel I am not ashamed of what Jesus Christ has done for me it's not yeah I'm not ashamed it is this is something I want to stand on this is something that I want to proclaim this is something I want to shout from behind a pulpit This is something I want to declare to the world because I'm not ashamed of it. But this is life. This is life giving what the Son of God gave for us. For it is the power of God unto salvation. It is not this is a power. It is the power of God unto salvation. The is a definite article. There is no other. This is, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. We search for power in so many ways, don't we? Humanity searches for power in position. It searches for power in money. It searches for power in reputation. Even within the church, we're looking for power, aren't we? We're looking for that prophetic word. We're looking to be able to speak in tongues. We're looking for to be able to cast out demons. There's nothing wrong with this stuff. But the power of God is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is where the power of God is. I'm not ashamed of it, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And people will say, ah, Grant, yes, yes. But what you're missing is that it's the power of God unto salvation. The, the gospel is your ticket, what they'll say, they won't use these words, is your ticket into heaven for that salvation. But what they miss is that the word salvation is soteria in Greek. And it's not just talking about a future salvation. It is talking about a present, present tense It is talking about the here and the now. And the word salvation is not just a ticket to heaven. It speaks about being rescued. It speaks about safety, of being delivered, of health, of wholeness, of blessing, of healing, of wisdom, of discernment, of overcoming. It is the sum of all all the benefits and blessings that Christ has given to us. It is salvation all encompassing. That is the salvation. It is the power of God to salvation. If you have a problem in your life, the power of God has the ability to shed light into it. Salvation, the power of God unto salvation can come into your very presence, into your very existence, into your life, whether you are sick, whether you have an issue at work, whether you have issues at home. Salvation in its entirety, the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power and the authority to cut through that and bring life and light into your life. So if you are looking at a problem in front of you, look to Jesus Christ. And go into his gospel, for it is the power of life, it is the power of salvation, and it will cut through those problems. This is something not to be ashamed of, people. This is something to embrace.
This is exciting stuff. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for who? For ministers, for leaders, for a particular race, for a particular gender or a skin color? No, for all who believe. For all who believe. It is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. We do not need to wait for a particular person to pray for you. We do not need to wait in line for that minister or that person who we've got on a pedestal to pray for you because you have the power of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ in exactly the same way. Maybe slightly different giftings. But it's there for you to embrace, to walk in, to live. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. We looked at in my past series about the kingdom of God, which is righteousness, peace and joy. And Jesus himself says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first, especially my righteousness. And here it says, for in it, the, God, the righteousness of God is revealed. Why is that? Because Jesus Christ himself is revealed. Jesus Christ is the embodiment. Jesus Christ is the embodiment of righteousness. And he is revealed and therefore the righteousness of God is revealed to us. We are to seek the righteousness because as we seek the righteousness in the covenant that Jesus Christ cut with us, he says, I will become cursed and I will take their sin that they may have my righteousness. And so as we discover the righteousness of Jesus Christ, do you know what? We're discovering our identity. We're discovering our righteousness. And we understand who we are in Jesus Christ. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And as we take the gospel and as we explore it, and as we live life, God will shine light on it more from faith to faith that every step he will reveal to us that which is needed, that which gives us strength, that which we want and need for life at that moment will continuously being revealed to us. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God to salvation for Everyone who believes. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Do you see what Paul is saying here? This is something for us to embrace in our whole life. This is something for us to walk in, to know. That our minds can be continually renewed. That our souls can be continually refreshed. And our bodies can be continually rejuvenated. For the gospel of Jesus Christ in it is the power of God unto salvation. This is good news. Gospel is good news. And all too often we become not bringers of good news, but people who oppose others. Paul says, I am separated to the gospel. I can understand now why he says, I want to be separated unto the gospel because I want to be known about what this. I want to be a bringer of good news. I'm sent with this message. I'm binding myself to Jesus Christ who is righteousness, who is grace, and I want to share him with you. This is a man we want to embrace. 
if he was writing this to us as well. Now, I know time's gotten away a little bit, but I don't want to stop here. And if, you can, if I can ask for another five minutes, we'll go through the rest of this chapter. Because what we've looked at here is the good side of it. But some people will say, ah, Grant, but you've missed out on the other side, the sin side. And I want to address that, but I don't want to hold it off to next week. So if you can spare another five minutes, we'll get through that. Verse 18. I'm running out of breath here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. My summary here is, He's not speaking to believers now. He's speaking to unbelievers. He's changed his tack. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Note here, Paul is saying, That no one has an excuse not to know about the Father. There is no excuse because even in creation it points to his eternal power and the Godhead. Yet some people have refused to believe it. Some people have chosen not to accept it. But they are without excuse. Verse 21. Because although they knew God... They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So here Paul's saying, no one has an excuse to say that they did not know about God. Everyone has seen it in creation, it is there, but they have refused to glorify him. They have refused to give thanks to him. And so they became futile in their hearts. Or futile in their thoughts and foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. See, people are made to worship, but people refuse to worship God. People refused to worship the Creator and they changed what they were going to worship from the Creator to the created beings. And they created idols to worship. But they refused to give glory to God. They refused to be thankful. They refused um, or they changed the glory of God and worshipped something else. Therefore God gave them up. Verse 25, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of women, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. This passage of scripture is as relevant for us today as it was when it was written. Because they refused to give glory to God, because they refused to be thankful, because they refused to worship God, they embraced homosexuality. We have societies now not only embracing it, not only condoning it, legalizing it, but not only legalizing it, changing the very definition of marriage 
from between a man and a woman to between two people or whatever phraseology they use now. Don't think it's not going to happen in this country because this country, despite what you may hear, is not a Christian country. We do not profess as a country to glorify God or to be thankful for what God has done. We will see this happen here. It is as relevant here as what it was then. And even, verse 28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of, all, of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Everything listed there, if you look around the world today, you can see. Everything. But we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised. Why should we not be surprised? Because it says that this was going to happen. The sin, the homosexuality, the backbiting, the evil nature stuff, that is the symptoms. Unfortunately, churches for too often have gone out to oppose the symptom again and again and again hoping that people are going to go yes we're wrong and change their mind if i have a leg that continually bleeds and i put a band-aid on it and then it comes off and another band-aid and another band-aid but it continues to bleed at some point i'm going to have to stop and remove the band-aid and make sure that there's not something in there and try and identify the cause of it And stop just looking at the symptom, which is the bleeding leg, but go in and look at the cause of it. Here in this passage of Scripture, we have the cause. It's been outlined for us. Why is that stuff going on? Because people have stopped glorifying God. People have stopped thanking God. People have stopped worshipping God. People have stopped giving their lives over to God. And so... Because their minds are not being renewed. It's this downward spiral. And the sin nature is coming out. And we see it all around us. We see it all around us. But I want to ask the question. Is it best to go after the cause, uh, the symptoms, or is it best to treat the cause? And I say that the cause is because they've stopped glorifying God and so what do we do let's go and present the gospel of Jesus Christ and let's go and show the light and the life that is in there let them see the truth of what Jesus Christ has done rather than being the people who are against who are fighting who are opposed to let us be the people who are for the gospel of Jesus Christ Let us be the people who present the truth. Let us be the people who proclaim that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the one promised, the one who fulfilled all the prophecies beforehand, the Son of God who became man, who walked as flesh, who was proclaimed the Son of God by power of holiness unto the resurrection of the dead. Let us present 
him and watch as the power of salvation cuts through. And as one by one, people start to have the symptoms addressed because the root cause changes and they see for the first time that they are loved by God, that the Father sent the Son and that they will see that we are a people of hope, a people of peace, a people who bring salvation into their very midst. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. This is good news, people. I hope that this morning has been a blessing to you. I hope that as you go out this week, whatever you are confronted with, that you can take the power of the gospel and shed light into it and you'll see life and hope and peace go before you and that people around you will be blessed because you are a bringer of peace, because you have the gospel of Jesus Christ and the covenant that he cut with you at the forefront of your minds and you can bring that power, that hope into their life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you allowed your son to come and we glorify him and we thank him and we worship him because it's because of him that we are able to approach you, that we have a relationship with you, that we are no longer condemned, that we are no longer guilty, but we have freedom and liberty in Jesus Christ. I thank you for the covenant that was cut, that transformed our life and set us on a new path. And Father, may we be a people who are known by our faith in Jesus Christ as we rest in that truth. And Father, may that truth cut through the lies. May it cut through the things that don't stand in the face of truth and may light be shed in our problems and in the people that we come across that they too will choose to glorify you and thank you for the goodness and the grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.